welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. Uh, that's a hot take. That's a scorching take. Uh, I'm not afraid to be bold, though. Thriving, surviving, and watching Rutgers football. There's nothing to respect about Rutgers. You know what? It's pain, but we look good while we do it, man. Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Bloomington, Indiana. Recording this here with uh, my co-host, Reed Murray, down in Nashville, Tennessee. Reed, what's up? Um, not too much. Uh, really glad to be talking actual football again. We did a little bit of it in our last episode, talking about the whole Big Ten, but now we get to talk about uh, some the really exciting stuff like Ohio State and uh, what's going to be happening with this exciting Indiana team, the potential downfall of Michigan. I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, uh, we're going to go team by team here in the Big Ten East. I think we can start from top to bottom. Me and Reed have more or less the same uh, standings uh, for the East and West. Or not the West, actually. Our West standings really couldn't be more different. Uh, but for the East, we have more or less the same standings, you know, from Ohio State at the top to, believe it or not, Rutgers at the bottom. Uh, so, so let's get into it. Let's start with that number seven team. We're going to get just jump straight into it. Let's start with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who we both believe are going to be seventh in the Big Ten. I think there's a pretty good chance they don't win a game. This team is going to be awful, even in the first year, Greg Schiano. Yeah, um, I don't think they're going to be as nearly as bad as you think they are. I still think they're going to go. Uh, I, I got them going one and seven, and I have them finishing dead last in the Big Ten East. Um, but. Yeah, you're right. This team is going to be awful, especially the defense. Um, they do have a good, a few uh, good transfers coming in from Michigan and Ohio State. And actually, these transfers are something I want to talk about a little bit because, um, well, they've even more than that. The whole Big Ten, oh, Michigan, yeah. Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, all sending significant players to uh, Rutgers. Yeah, and when you think about transfers in Rutgers, one of the things that comes to mind is Raheem Blackshear transferring away. He was uh, mm-hmm. one of the best players in that offense last year. He was really the uh, one guy you look to as a star who can kind of take Rutgers out of the gutter, but uh, he's now gone. Right. That was, that was the whole team. And, you know, when I first looked at this team on paper, I think they are going to be better than last year's Rutgers team. Last year's Rutgers team was just like historically awful. This team's still going to be bad. No, no doubt about it. But, you know, when I saw, Oh, Blackshear's gone just right off the bat, I thought this team's going to be worse because he was that whole offense. Yeah. Um, And I don't remember who their non-conference opponents were originally supposed to be. Um, when when this season was originally scheduled, but if they had three group of five teams in the non-conference, I think they might have gone three and zero in non-conference. An FCS yeah. team, yeah, I, I think they probably played. I know, think I remember them playing more some than FCS eight. team. They I usually I remember do. them being on the schedule. Yeah, Monmouth, something like that, maybe. Right. Um. Uh huh. They usually play like one of the New Jersey yeah. schools. Um. But two of the biggest names you highlight with, when it comes to these transfers are Aaron Crunkshank and Brendan White. Transfers from uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State, respectively. These are guys who seem to be buying into the whole Shiana Sans. And I, I do like Rutgers' future. We've talked about this on the show before, how Shiano is obviously a, uh, a well-respected coach who has uh, had success in the past. So I like the direction Rutgers is going. I don't think they're going to be there quite yet. But the fact that they've got transfers coming in from high-profile schools like Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and even some schools that are – less prestigious like UCLA, Boston College. They have multiple Boston College transfers, Toledo and Maryland. 
just the fact that they have so many people coming in because they want to join what Shiano is building, uh, that's a that's a positive sign for Rutgers, and I like to see that. Well, yeah, you can look at it from that angle, and you can also look at it from the angle of uh, a lot of new guys coming into this team, into this locker room. Chemistry could be weird. Uh, you know, the, the, the system, well, I would say, you know, new guys trying to fit into the system with old players, but it's a brand new system with Greg Shiano, who I think is going to be a good coach for Rutgers. He's probably going to bring the best po- possible Rutgers, you know, out of this team. He has done it before. Yeah. Uh, but but one guy who I, I'd like to highlight here is the transfer, uh, Noah Vedral, you know, from Nebraska. Uh, he started two games last year when Martinez was injured. He started the Indiana game, and he went down in that one, uh, and McCaffrey came in for him. But uh, he's he's a, a dual-threat guy. He, he was okay in Nebraska. I think he's an upgrade over what Rutgers had at quarterback previously. But, you know, this guy's been at three schools. You know, Rutgers is going to be his third chance, probably his last chance to, to try and figure it you out. You know who I'm a bit high on, who has a bit of experience? Um, Bo Melton, he's a wide receiver. Uh, I liked what I saw from the film of him last season. And I think in a team where the only real experience that you see is from a guy like Bo Melton or uh, quarterback Arter, Arter Satowski, which I hate the, the fact that he's going to be playing another year at uh, starting quarterback, which, um, you know, maybe this will be finally the year he improved. No, I, don't, I, don't I think, so. I think Vedral, Vedral, I think is the likely starter. Yeah. But, um, Bo Melton, a wide receiver. That's what he's I, a senior. I like what I've seen from him in the past. I think, uh, I think he's going to bring. Obviously, he's going to bring experience to this team. He has a lot of talent. Or he, I wouldn't say a lot of talent. I mean, he's a Rutgers player, but uh, more talent than you see when you look anywhere else in this Rutgers team. Uh, I think he's going to be a leader here, and I think he's going to make a difference on that Rutgers offense. So, um, maybe with some of those guys, with uh, like we said, Aaron Crunkshank, transfer from Wisconsin, these type of players. Uh, can set a good example, and maybe they'll surprise the team. I don't think they're going to uh, get an upset win against Indiana or Penn State or anything, but uh, maybe potentially Illinois or Maryland, they could uh, help Rutgers sort of surprise somebody. I agree. You know, it's not entirely impossible. I think this team is certainly trending in the right direction, but uh, they're yeah. still bad. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, it is going to take a lot to take a Rutgers team out of the situation they've been in for the last few years. But uh, if there's anyone who could do it, it is Greg Schiano. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a good chance that this team is is better, you know, three, four, five years from now. Uh, they're at least a decent team. But uh, for now, no. Yeah, and – I, th- I think I said this a second ago, but this defense is going to be hard to watch. I don't see a lot of uh, positive spots on this defense, so I think Rutgers, once again, going to be giving up a lot of points. I agree. Yeah, th- th- there's not much more to be said other than this team is not going to be that good. But, you know, call me in five years, and we'll talk about talk about this team. Could be in a much better spot. You know, they've recruited well, you know, compared to what you would expect for a team like Rutgers. And I think Shiano is the real deal. I, I do like him as this coach. So we're going to have to see with Rutgers. But for now, nothing to see. Yeah. Um, All right. So the uh, the next team I wanted to talk about, I've got them finishing fifth, but you might have them in sixth. I think the popular consensus is them in sixth. 
Maryland Terrapins. Uh, so this is a team who last year uh, had a great start to the season in September and an awful, terrible, terrible finish. Uh, you know, Mike Loxley going to his second year uh, with the Terps. You know, former offensive coordinator at Alabama. And who does he bring in as his new quarterback? Tagovailoa. Seems like a match made in heaven, right? Yeah. Um, I am really optimistic about Talia Tagovailoa's future. Um, but I think this season he's going to be really thrown into a hard situation where you're facing teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Indiana, week in, week out. Um, Maryland not facing too easy of a schedule. And I think it's going to take a while for uh, Tagovailoa to adjust, especially with the fact that they don't have any non-conference games to play this season. This is going to be a hard situation for a young quarterback right, to and- develop in. Uh, I think by next year we'll see some vast improvements, but I don't think Tagovailoa is going to be it this year. Right, and he's getting thrown to the Wolves week one. Uh, that They get Northwestern against a great Northwestern defense in Evanston, uh, which that's a tough matchup for any team, but especially for a brand-new quarterback who's really never played significant college football before. Yeah. Um, and let me just say, though, although I think Maryland is going to have a really rough year this season, I do like the future of uh, this Terrapins team. I like Mike Loxley as a coach. I believe in him. And I like how they're how they're trying to move forward uh, with some higher profile athletes like Tagovailoa or Kim Jarrett. Um, yeah, Kim, Kim Jarrett, Jarrett is, is big one he's he's about, the big yeah. name who they've got in recruiting who uh, was originally an LSU commit. But uh, yeah, five star. five star. When was the last time you saw a five star go to Maryland? Um, although maybe Tagovailoa is a five star. I don't know. But uh, I like the future of this team. I think they could be. Uh, a serious surprise in the next two or three years, a serious sleeper team. But uh, right now they just don't have what it takes, especially with um, their, with uh, the quarterback, Josh Jackson being gone and uh, McFarland at running back. He's no longer with this program. So I think Maryland's going to struggle pretty badly. I think they're going to be the worst team in the big 10. I think they're going to finish higher than Rutgers because of tiebreakers, but I think uh, they will be the worst team in this big 10. Yeah, the, the Maryland's not going to be good, uh, and neither is the next team. I want to talk about Michigan State. I think those three teams are really just a, a cavalcade of bad. You know, those three, I think, are going to be the bottom three teams in the entire Big Ten. I think there's a huge divide between fourth place and fifth place in the Big Ten this season. But, you know, I, I think that, that for the first time really ever, uh, you're going to have a competitor to the Maryland Rutgers yeah. drone. Yeah, teams. Maybe not ever. There have been some awful Indiana teams and some awful Illinois teams and some awful Purdue teams, but now Michigan State is getting Yeah, and how odd is that? Five years ago, they were in the college football playoff, and now they're uh, being compared to the likes of Rutgers and Maryland. Uh, That's just pretty crazy to think about. But, uh, yeah, this Sparty team, Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a second about the quarterback situation because you would think Rocky Lombardi would be the next quarterback as Lewerke's gone. Lombardi had been his backup for two years. But I've seen a lot of talk from Michigan State fans online about a uh, new quarterback, Peyton Thorne, who he, he was a redshirt last season. There's talk of him taking Lombardi's spot as the starting quarterback. And I would go with Lombardi uh, if I was the head coach of Michigan State. But the thing with Lombardi is he's not a very dual-threat quarterback. He's not a fast guy. He's not very elusive. All he can do is really pass the ball, which, to be fair, he's, it's not like he's a tremendous passer either. Um, so – He's not really the best guy to have uh, under center. But I think Peyton Thorne 
is would struggle if he was starting quarterback as well. Uh, I think he'd get pressured in the pocket a lot, and he wouldn't deal with that pressure very well, um, especially after playing a few uh, some really lackluster teams uh, in high school. Now, he has had a redshirt year to develop, um, which, who knows, maybe he uh, really improved in the red, redshirt year. But I think we're going to see both quarterbacks play this year. I think one of them is going to start, and then they're going to get benched for the other. Um, I like the fact that Thorne is more of a running quarterback. He's more of a dual threat. But I think at the end of the day, no matter who they go with as starting quarterback, it's going to be seen as the wrong decision, um, and Tucker's going to get blamed for it. But at the end of the day, there's not really much you can do to take this Michigan State team and have them finish anywhere above fifth in the East. Yeah, and we're going into year one of Mel Tucker, year one of the post-Mike D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio era. I always botch his name, my bad. <laughs> After, you know, talking about him for years and years and years, and I keep botching it. I keep mixing him with Mike D'Antoni, the former Houston Rockets coach. Uh, entering year one post-D'Antoni. Oh, <laughs> man. You got yourself Anyway, <laughs> You did it again. Yeah. A tongue twister. Yeah, this has happened before. Uh, anyway, year one post post uh, post Antonio, uh, year one of Mel Tucker. I think the expectations are pretty low. You know, this team barely squeaked into bowl season last year. They, you know, were on their basically they they limped into bowl season at six and six, and they lost that Illinois game after blowing a twenty eight to three lead. And this was a team that was ranked at the beginning of the season too, uh, for the first few weeks and. I think the expectations are just on the ground now. Like, you know, new coach, mm-hmm. weird year, lost a lot of guys. I don't think there's really anything I'm expecting in Michigan State this year except for them to be, you know, pretty bad. And uh, it is weird how far they've fallen. And I'm just curious with you. I think I think I need to see some stuff. I need to see the tides start to turn more before I, you know, believe in Mel Tucker or whatever. But do you think this is going to work out? Um. I I think it could. I, think I need to see it on the field. But I don't but... think it will because D'Antonio has been such a good coach for Michigan State in the last few years that their fans and their – Except at the end, at the end, D'Antonio started to kind of – Yeah, but he, he, he is – He wasn't as good. On field or yeah, on but... the trail? His last recruiting class – You're absolutely right about good, that. But... Or at least it didn't but, rank uh, well. Aside from the last two years, Michigan State fans have grown accustomed to successful football teams – um, and I think that Mel Tucker, Michigan State could work out, but I think it would take, it'd be a long process, which uh, the AD, the boosters, the fans just aren't going to be able to wait for. Um, so I think he's going to end up getting fired uh, maybe two, three years in. Well, you know, you know what they say, you don't exactly. want to be the guy after the guy. And Mark Antonio mm-hmm. was the guy. He was the guy for Michigan State football for a long time. He took him to the highest of highs, Rose Bowls, playoffs, you name it, Big Ten championships, lots of wins over Michigan. Uh, he, he was the guy, and being the guy after the guy either means that you're going to be a disappointment or you're going to be just not as good and people are going to want an upgrade somehow or another. Like, you know – I think that the prime example that comes to my mind with this theory, I go back to Indiana basketball. I think Bob Knight, you know, he's outed in the year 2000. In comes Mike Davis as the new head coach. Uh, And Davis was fine. He took the team all the way to the national championship game, but people still did not want him and he got fired and uh, Kelvin Sampson became the new head coach. But 
you know, being the guy to follow up the legend is tough, and that's a really tough yeah. position. For and when you look at this Michigan State team as a whole, uh, in the last few years, Michigan State just as a program has been a more defense-heavy team. Um, they, they've never scored a lot of points, right. which, I mean, they played in one of uh, the worst games of the season last year, which was their 10-7 loss to Arizona State. Um, the fact that this offense isn't getting any better mm-hmm. and this defense is definitely losing some production, uh, I think Michigan State's going to be bad all around. And I think they'll get. I think they'll win one game and lose one game against uh, either Rutgers or Maryland. I think they'll split uh, that sort of three-way series. I'm kind of thinking. I'm leaning towards that too. I don't think they're going to beat. You know. Oh yeah, no way. I don't. Michigan, I don't even Indiana, come close to Michigan Penn State, Michigan State, or you know, I just said Michigan State. I lumped them into that because I'm so used to it. Yeah. What a weird year. What weird times, right? Michigan State's not good at football anymore. I just, you know, automatically lumped them in with with the good teams in my head. I'm so used yeah. to it. I think well, we all are. I mean, Michigan State's been struggling because they, they had they had an off year where they went three and nine. Then they had then they had an on year where they were, I believe, eight and four. Uh, and last year they were off again. So uh, it's it's been... well. Last year they were they were a well. That doesn't mean anything. So was the Nebraska. Few weeks of the season. Nebraska was number 25. Before Ohio right State just, like, made him a different team. Yeah, good point. Those those early season rankings for the first, you know, five weeks of the season or so, they really do mean nothing. But, you know, they still had that, that respect. True. They were, they were still know, a respected team. Recent as last season. And they were respected they last year because their defense you know, I see was, all these. They The defense didn't give up a lot of points or a lot of yards. It was a tough defense to move the ball against. Um, I don't see them repeating that this year, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at – I think they still do have a lot of that respect because I see, like, Indiana reporters and whatever because that's the team I follow the closest. I see people like, wow, maybe we can beat Michigan State this year. That would be a huge win. I'm like, not really. Indiana is a far better team just than Michigan at, Just State. about every position, Indiana is a better team this season. Oh, not, not even a question. But uh, this MSU team is going to struggle, I think, a lot this year and uh, could be a rough one. Who knows what the future holds for Mel Tucker, but this year – yeah, I'm Not with you on that for sure. Um, want to talk about Michigan now? I mean, it's crazy that Michigan. If we're going uh, yeah. last to first, it's crazy that Michigan's coming this early when you're so used to them being. Yeah, you never, you never would have thought, but I would put Michigan fourth. They've just lost so much. I mean, think about it. Like the guy who was number one, they lost their starting quarterback from last season. No matter what you think of Shea Patterson. He's not there anymore. There goes your starting quarterback. You lost your second-string quarterback from last season. McCaffrey's gone, except he did lose that quarterback battle to, to Joe Milton, who I'm going to talk about. But Nico Collins, he's gone. There's your number one receiver. Uh, last season, Donovan Peoples-Jones graduates. There's your number two receiver. This offense is going to look completely different next year. Or in two weeks, I guess, not next yeah, year. Yeah, it anymore. is crazy how the season is upon us uh, this quickly. But – We've talked about this privately in the past, but Zach Charbonnet running back. What are your thoughts? Eh. I don't even know if he's a top of the top half of the conference running back. I, I don't think he's bad, but I can think of you know, if I were to rank, you know, Big Ten running backs, mm-hmm. I don't think he's a top five one. Yeah. Uh I agree with you on that. So I don't know if I'd have him in the top half. I think he's better than than a than a handful. I think he's still, you know, decent, but Nothing to like write home about, and if you're going to be relying on him to like 
kind of lead your offense this yeah. season. Yeah, and when we talk about this Michigan offense, obviously it's going to be a different unit from last year. Last year they had Shea Patterson, a an inconsistent but still experienced quarterback, um, and their wide receiver production was much better. But I think this wide receiver unit will still be all right. Obviously it's going to be uh, not nearly as productive with the loss of Nico Collins, but I still believe in Giles Jackson and Ronnie Bell. Um, as much as I hate Michigan, I, I am a Giles Jackson fan. I wouldn't say fan. Um, but I like the way Giles Jackson plays. He's a danger, he's a difficult player to defend. So I think he'll do a decent job, but, uh, just having a few players who can get it done and make good plays, isn't going to be enough, especially when, when you're, when you're a team who's trying to contend for one of those top spots in your division. Um, Michigan just doesn't have, they're not a, they're not a full, fully put together team. Uh, and that's going to hurt them this year. I agree. I think this is just not the year for, for Michigan to, to compete. They lose so much. I know I've talked about that, but it, it's hard to not harp on that even more. Michigan loses a lot. But uh, one guy they're not losing who you kind of thought they would, Jalen Mayfield, who uh, was convinced by some of his teammates, including Joe Milton, to come back. Uh, and he's going to be the anchor of that offensive line. And Joe Milton – I hear a lot online from Michigan fans about how good they think this guy's going to be. And you know what? Fine. I think it's okay to have that hype with him because he's got the intangibles. He's got the skill set. He's got the tools. But after watching every single snap of his, and I haven't done the film session on him yet, I've watched all of his snaps from his entire Michigan career. There are some plays he makes where you're like, this guy is going to be special. And I think there's a good chance that this guy turns out to be an incredible quarterback sometime. I don't know if that's going to be this year, though because he is just so raw. He has got a lot of throws that are just stupid easy that he misses. A lot of balls bounced in the dirt, balls over guys' heads, you know, missed reads, open receivers that he doesn't see, times he should run, doesn't do it. You know, just a lot of mistakes that I think will kind of be ironed out with time. So early in the season, I think Michigan might struggle with him, but I think by the end of the year, there's a chance he figures it out. And I think this Michigan team is still probably – more or less a 500 team, maybe at best they're going to go five and three. At worst, they go three and five. Uh, probably still going to make a bowl game, but I think Milton's going to struggle a little bit early. Eventually, I think he's going to figure it out, and you know maybe one day he can be a star because I think he's got the tools. But yeah, and it's funny that you bring up uh, the idea of Michigan being a, an about 500 team because I was thinking about it. If this was a regular 12 game schedule, I think Michigan would go seven and five. Uh, with with all things considered. Obviously, um, without COVID, Nico Collins would still be on the team uh, and all that. So that hypothetical was never really possible. But if you had this team playing a full regular 12-game schedule, I think they go about seven or five. But it's going to be funny at the end of the season. They're going to be they're going to have a comically bad record. I think they're going to be three and five, which is just not what you're used to seeing in the Jim Harbaugh era. Maybe that's what you saw. Well, they, they do have they a tough got, schedule. They, they got do, a their two games are, draw. Uh, the two West games are Wisconsin yeah. and Minnesota, which um, two hard opponents from the West, two respectable That's, opponents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Michigan does have a mm-hmm. hard run. But uh, I, I, I do think if this, was a, uh, if this was a regular schedule, they would be half decent. They're definitely going to go to a bowl game just because they're Michigan because there are no limitations on mm-hmm. – there's no record requirement for bowl games, which, which makes sense. That's yeah. right. It's it makes not, sense. It's not six and six like a regular year because there's so many bowl slots. They, and the there are so many bowl slots you have to fill. And some of those bowl mm-hmm. games, some bowl games aren't even playing this year though. Happening. Like I believe the. I, uh, yeah, that is tragic. No, no, Hawaii, no Hawaii, bowl. Hawaii bowl either. 
Exactly. Um, Love the Hawaii Bowl. This, when you think about that whole bowl situation, every year you have teams make bowl games who are, say, three and six in their conference or four and five or some below 500 record in the uh-huh. conference, which makes sense. You get those, uh, those out of conference wins. So you kind of have to factor that in. Yeah, you get the cupcake game. So the cupcakes. Uh, yeah, it, I don't. I don't really have a problem with a three and five or so Michigan team making the pinstripe bowl or whatever it may be. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting when you see some of these teams who have records like three and five playing in bowl games. I agree, and and I think this Michigan team. I think the cutoff in the Big Ten East, at least for. Uh, bowl eligibility is about the Michigan slot. I don't think anybody yeah, no below way. that is going to make it. But in, in the West, I think it could be a different story. I think I every team's agree. got a shot at bowl eligibility out there. But wild, wild West. But the East, I think, is more predictable. Uh, one of the less predictable teams, I think, uh, is our number three team. Uh, we both have them at number three, I know, and that's Indiana. Uh, a team who a lot of people are kind of thinking this is going to be the year they put it all together and have a really, really big season. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i hesitant. Part of me is hesitant to, to have Indiana doing so well. I have them at six and two. Right. But it's it's still Indiana. I, I don't want to say that's, that's what you too remember. many. I don't want to get overconfident I think gonna, because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I want Indiana to succeed. I don't want to jinx them. Um, I'm, I'm hoping for them to succeed, but – uh, I also don't want to make a fool of myself and believe in a team who uh, is kind of notorious for botching games. But I look at this Indiana team, and I'm very confident in what they're going to do this season. Um, Michael Penix has been injured both of his seasons so far at Indiana. I think he's really got something to prove. And that's not to say that he's had bad seasons. It's just uh, he's been injury-prone in the past, and you can tell he's eager to get on that field um, just because it's been so long since he's really mm-hmm. been – He's never really been under the national spotlight, and he's got the talent to be under the national spotlight. Um, so you look at a guy like that, and that's that's obviously going to be a huge component of the team, being a dual-threat quarterback with an absolute cannon for an arm. I like this wide-receiving unit. Um, Hendershot, we've said, we said this in our Indiana preview. We've said all this, but uh, Hendershot's extremely reliable, and I just love Stevie Scott. I'm, I, I think he's a top-three running back in the Big Ten. Um, Huge believer in him, and I think with Samson James as a backup, that's going to be a serious, dangerous duo. I think it's going to be similar to the J.K. Dobbins-Mike Weber Jr. duo we saw at Ohio State a few years ago. I think it's going to be scary. Oh, yeah. yeah, and with with, uh, with Samson James, you know, he's he uh, he entered the transfer portal over the offseason for about a week after uh, the strength coach uh, went over to Alabama. You know, he had – had a good relationship with the strength coach dating back to high school. So well, Samson James, uh, that was huge to get him back. Cause I don't uh, think for a moment there, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to go to Alabama, but thought he was going to go somewhere yeah. else. Thought he wasn't going to be at Indiana. He was in the portal, but it's huge to have him back. He actually, another thing I saw with him, he changed his number. He uh, just like Stevie Scott went from 21 to eight went from double digit to single digit. Samson went from 24 to six. So he's going to be rocking the, uh, Tevin Coleman special next season. This season. Wow. I, I've said next season a couple times because it still hasn't really dawned on me that we've got Big yeah. Ten football in like two weeks. Yeah. And uh, how crazy is that? <laughs> a player that we haven't even touched on in this episode is Wap Fillier, who uh, was one of the 
better receivers in the whole conference right. last year. I think he's going to be – he's going to get much more conference-wide and potentially nationwide attention. But last year was when people started to uh, – Indiana went was unranked for every week of the season except for, I believe, the week they played Penn State. I, I believe they were, they were put at number 24 in the AP poll. Yeah. But people started to notice Indiana last year. Game. And uh, I've still seen – I still think people are sleeping in Indiana to a certain extent. People have them – Going four and four or five and three, which I think five and three is a fair prediction. Um, but uh, totally fair. Maybe is, even yeah. overestimate because it's you know it's still but Indiana. I think it's, I think it's huge just for the future games. of Indiana football totally in general. Possible. That now they're starting to get more on a national landscape. There was there were a lot of eyes on that Indiana versus Michigan game last season, where where Indiana was the home team, uh, and that was on the uh, nationwide upset alert. Um, that three p.m. game. So. They did. They, I mean, they IU hung with them game. for the first half. Yeah, they, they ended choked up it away in the second half. Typical. They, they looked awful in the second. They, they looked awful in the second half. Lost, but by they were strong early in that game. And the fact that Indiana like couldn't get under that national spotlight, that's really good they for were. their recruiting. And Tom Allen. And uh, and mind yeah. you, that was the um, game Stevie Scott and down. Tom Allen is becoming a more well-known name. Uh, he seems to be really popular among recruits. So, I love the direction this Indiana team is going. Um, and I really like this team this year. It's a very, uh, co- it's one of the most complete Indiana teams we've seen in decades. Um, and I think they really are going to shock the world this year and potentially make, I think they could make a new year's six bowl. It would take, it would, I'm telling you, cause think about it. Whoa. A six and two. <laughs> it would take the great. Now here's why I say that. Indiana I wouldn't have said that a few weeks ago, but you look at some of the nationwide powerhouses, Texas, they almost lost to Texas Tech. They went into overtime with them, and they just lost this week to TCU. Oklahoma, they're one and two. They already have two conference losses. Um, you look at the SEC. Auburn, Auburn just got absolutely destroyed by Georgia. Oh, LSU, LSU lost. lost to Mississippi State. Mississippi State lost to Arkansas. Georgia, all, Georgia, Georgia almost down lost to Arkansas. to Arkansas at the half. A lot of these powerhouse names um, are having down years, and it's – it's obviously this is a strange year with COVID and, and all of those factors into consideration, but with all the craziness going around in college football, it's not out of the question for Indiana as a six and two team who say they say they win their crossover game in championship week. They're seven and two, not out of the question for them to make one of those six bowl games. I think it's out of the question to put them in the playoff, but uh, right. It's impossible to predict bowl, real possibility, oh, obviously, but it's impossible to predict like a, you know, a, a crossover yeah. week game, so I think we're not including that in our eight-game predictions. But, you know, this Indiana team, one other thing, uh, I love this defense. I think the defense is going to get better this year. One of my sleepers, uh, it's a guy, Bo Robbins. I think he he redshirted last season. I think he's going to get a lot more snaps this year. Uh, he He's a defensive end out of Carmel, really highly rated recruit. I think he's going to, you know, bring a lot of pressure, uh, which is one of their biggest weaknesses last season was uh, pass rushing. Uh, one of the bigger injuries though, Marcelino ball, he played Husky, which is a safety linebacker hybrid that not a lot of pretty much no other team in the world has, uh, Marcelino ball is not playing this year towards ACL. Uh, so hope for a speedy recovery for him, but that's a huge loss. I think for Indiana, Bryant Fitzgerald steps into that role. Uh, but beyond that, I think this defense is a lot of other super talented players, Micah McFadden and Thomas Allen, linebacker. Tywin Mullen's one of the best corners in the country. Uh, 
you know, Cam Jones, uh, another good linebacker. Yeah. And I like the defense, defense a lot too. Last season, they gave up some of the fewest yards in the nation last year. They were, they were, they were one of the most productive defenses in all of FBS. Um, so even with the departure of Marcelino Ball, that is going to be a huge hit on this defense. I still like where they're going this year. Um, like I said, I just can't even I, – I, I can't stress enough how confident I am in this Indiana team. And it's definitely going to come back uh, to haunt me because you can, you can never say good words about Indiana football. Uh, they'll always find a way to choke the game. But uh, I, I feel really good about it this year. I think they're going to upset Wisconsin. I, think, I don't think they'll end up beating Penn State. I think they have a good chance. I think they'll put up a fight week one. I think they get that program-changing upset against Michigan, which in hindsight at the end of the season we'll look back and say, hey, well, Michigan went 3-5 uh, and five or 4-4. Four and four. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. But Michigan being a team they haven't beaten in so long, I think if they can pick up a win against Michigan, that is going to be an enormous deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a program-changer. That is a program-changing win, I think, for Indiana. That makes turns you from this is a team yeah, that's starting to turn the corner. Exactly. That this team has turned the corner, beating a team. You yeah, Indiana is one of the um, one of the. They, they remind me of North Carolina in that they're not quite at the recruiting level of North Carolina yet, but they're a popular team among recruits. They're starting to get more traction, um, and more people are looking at them. They have a lot of talented recruits coming in, uh, which has not been the case in the last few years. So um, I like the direction this Indiana team is going. I'm super confident in their future, which I've said for multiple teams in this episode so far. Um, and that just goes to show, I think in the next few years, the East, the Big Ten East has always been one of the most uh, difficult divisions to play in, in all of college football. But I think the East is only going to get better because I don't really think there's a, a bad coach in the Big Ten East. Um, so, it's it's gonna the, the, the one of the toughest divisions in college football is gonna get even tougher um, in two years time. So get ready for an even crazier Big Ten East situation. I agree, and uh, you know a few other things in Indiana before we go. Uh, I think injuries are a big deal for them. You know, all these guys have had had injury trouble. Stevie Scott, uh, Michael Penix, both missed the end of the season. Uh, those are probably your two most important offensive players. You know, failures dealt with things here and there. Um, but if those guys stay healthy, I think that's huge. And even if Penix goes down, you got Jack Tuttle as the backup, you know, the former four-star out of California, former Utah transfer. Uh, you know, Nick Sheridan, the new offensive coordinator at IU, said that Tuttle's apparently come miles since uh, arriving in Bloomington. But you know, that's going to be one interesting thing is injuries. Plus, you know, Nick Sheridan coming in the new OC, uh, how, how different will this offense look from what it sounded like in interviews? It won't look that different because they're going to keep a lot of the stuff that uh, former offensive coordinator and current Fresno State head coach Kalen DeBoer ran in his offense. Uh, but uh, two other things, two other freshmen I want to talk about uh, who I think could have a big impact. Because this year, one thing, freshmen could have a much bigger impact this season, I think, and I think they will. Because eligibility does not count for the 2020 season. So you're a freshman this year, you're a freshman next year, you know, at least on the field. And it's not a redshirt year, at least uh, from my understanding. Uh, that's kind of what it sounds like this year. Uh, but Rashawn Williams, he's a receiver out of Detroit, super highly recruited, had offers from Ohio State, Michigan, LSU, you know, the big boys. Committed to Indiana uh, when he was a junior. I think that's a huge get. Heard a lot of good things about him in practice. Uh, he could be a big number three receiver. Uh, 
could be a breakout guy this year. And then our guy, Bryson Bonds, who has been the favorite of every single coach, all the coaches love this guy. He is apparently the hardest worker. He would get up at 6 a.m. over the summer for workouts and wake up all his teammates. They were staying in a hotel. That's what that's what I read. This guy, I mean, we interviewed him. We were high on Bryson after that. We watched his tape. We know his accolades. We know Bryson Bonds. Everybody else likes Bryson Bonds, too. It sounds like he could be a contributor yeah, um, this year, too. I love Bryson Bonds, and I can't say enough about he, – he has the mentality of a champion. Um, and you can tell that just from uh, looking mm-hmm. at him on social media or seeing him in practice, he wants to go in and get better uh, every day. So I think players with mentalities like that, that's, that's going to be crucial for Indiana moving forward. Um, but I'm ready to talk about Penn State now if you are. Yeah, uh, you can catch that Bryson Bonds interview we did back in March. Can't believe how long ago it was. On our feed, if you scroll back a little yeah. bit, you'll find it. Uh, but I like it was just yesterday. Right, time flies. That's been seven months. I know time really, really flies, especially in in a year like this. But uh, let's talk about our number two team, Penn State and the Lions. A year ago, Penn State, you know, had a great season. Uh, losses to Ohio State and uh, Minnesota made it all the way to the Cotton Bowl where they beat the Memphis Tigers. I think this is going to be a big year for Penn State, too. I think this is going to be the year where Penn State, I don't know if they turn the corner past. I mean, the Cotton Bowl is a great bowl game. It's hard to kind of go up from that, but maybe they play a better opponent than Memphis and beat them in the bowl game. And Memphis was a good team last year, don't get me wrong, but maybe instead of facing a Memphis, they face, you know, the second-best team in the SEC, and they beat them. Yeah. um, I think that's kind of James Franklin said it two years ago after their loss to Ohio State that – Penn State is great, but Ohio State is elite. And that's what we've seen. Penn State is a great team. They've gone to great bowl games, but they're just not at the point yet where they can turn the corner and be elite. They're at a really high spot in college ball where a lot of teams want to get, um, but their fans want yeah. more. And I think this is not the year that they're going to get more, especially with Micah Parsons um, opting out. And now he it's been a few he's not coming back. That's going to be a huge hit for this team. That's huge. That changes that changes everything. And and speaking of opt outs, you know, in the West preview, we talked about I said it sounded like Rashad Bateman wasn't gonna play. He's playing. Uh, you know, at first we thought Rondell Moore wasn't gonna play. Rondell Moore's playing. The other big opt out in the Big Ten, you know, besides the two OSU guys who came right back, uh, he's not coming back for Penn State. That's Micah Parsons. That's a huge loss for that defense. That really changes everything on the defensive side of the ball. That is yeah. Well, let me say a few things that I really like about this Penn State team. First of all, Pat Fryermuth is the second best tight end in the country, just behind Florida's Kyle Pitts. But uh, Fryermuth has done some incredible stuff in the past, and the tight end position at Penn State for the last four or five years has been a really good one. But I really like what they have at running back. They have one of the best running backs in the Big Ten in Journey Brown. But I like this rotation with Noah Kane and Devin Ford getting in as well. I really like – uh, this sort of three running back rotation I like because it, it's all, it's usually effective when you have a team with multiple very good running backs um, where they can switch it up on a defense like that. I like what Penn State does with uh, this three running back rotation. Obviously, Journey Brown gets the majority of those touches, um, but they're not afraid to share the rock when it comes to tailback position. And a player, obviously, Sean Clifford is going to be the starting quarterback, but Will Levis, the backup, last year he looked pretty impressive against Ohio State. I must say, I mean, Ohio State was locking Clifford down, and maybe it was just by virtue of them not having much tape on Levis. Um, 
But he was able to move the ball on Ohio State in a way that Clifford couldn't. And I'm not saying Clifford's going to lose a starting job. Clifford is um, a top five Big Ten quarterback. He is the starter. But uh, when he's gone, I think Penn State's in good hands when it comes to Levis. And if Clifford does go down for uh, for an injury, or if uh, Franklin wants to run potentially a uh, a two QB system every now and then, where because in the past he's had uh, he's had the backup quarterback go in and throw a few passes each game, similar to, to the way that they uh, to, to the way that Ohio State did it with Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell. Uh, I could see it happen. Um, I could see Get that happening. Tape. Um, I like Will Levis as a quarterback. He is a redshirt sophomore, Clifford being a redshirt junior, so he will get one year in the starting role, um, assuming he doesn't transfer or anything like that after Clifford is gone. Um, but I like this Penn State offense. The problem is, though, the fact that this defense has lost so much in just one player, Micah Parsons, I think that's going to hurt them. He was a team leader as well. They've lost not only their best player but a huge team leader Um and I think that's going to be one of the major parts that, that one of the major things that keeps Penn State out of that elite conversation. I think Penn State will have only one loss this year to Ohio State, but it's not out of the question for them to get an upset. I think this is a team that would be vulnerable to a potential upset loss, maybe to a team like Iowa. They play Iowa every year, and Iowa obviously is uh, – Iowa's given them scares in the past, and they tend to get one upset every year. So I could see that as a potential upset alert game. Um I think they could too. I, I don't think they will. I think I they think could lose to Indiana week one within the realm of possibility. I think it's either. I think well, and by the way, you know, while we were recording this podcast, uh, there's an unofficial report that the Penn State Indiana game is going to be a noon kickoff uh, that first Saturday, Big Ten football, October 24th. Uh, I think that game is either a statement game for Indiana or a choke game for Indiana. No matter what, I think Indiana is going to be competitive with Penn State. It's going to be a good game, uh, but that's either going to be IU's big we're here statement, which if it's not that, I think they're going to make it against Michigan, maybe against Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They're going to make one at some point this season because I think Indiana is officially here. Uh, But, you know, Penn State, that could be the game. You know, it's week one. I, I think that, Penn State is probably a better team than Indiana, but I think that there's a chance. You know, there's so many week one upsets across the country, and we're going to get to this in our week one preview in a couple of weeks here, but across the country there have been a lot of week one upsets. You know, these top teams going down uh, or even just, you know, being yeah. games that are um, way closer than they should have been. I think this but, week uh, one game against That Indiana-Penn State game yeah. could be one of them. That is something Especially to consider. I think this game – Because, you know, you know, one thing, Indiana last season on the road, they had the they had that game in the bag for most of it. They had like an 80 something percent win percentage mm-hmm. chance on ESPN. You know, the thing everybody knows about because of the Falcons, they were in the 80s on that classic Indiana. They blew it. IU was the better team that game. You know, a few stupid calls here and there, missed targeting on Wap Fillier, all that. But uh I think IU could hang with. Them yeah, I think the way that game is going to work is entirely possible. I think it'll look pretty similar to their matchup last season. I think Penn State is going to have a few of their flaws exposed, but I think that's actually going to help them in the long run because they figure out, you know, when they go up against a team who's sound all around, especially on defense, uh, what they need to improve upon. I think that's going to help them in the future, and that might actually keep them from losing uh, in an upset because I, I think Indiana is going to do a good job and compete. I don't think they have what it takes to pull it out against Penn State. Um, but I think in the long run, Penn State will be uh, helped by this game. 
Yeah, that should be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Uh, but anything else for you on this Penn State team? You took pretty much all my talking points with the actual players, except, you know, one thing that I'm interested in is how do they replace the production from K.J. Hamler at the receiver position? What do you think on that? I'm I'm kind of at – I'm not sure what they're going to do there because he was such a unique player, super quick. You know, he had – there were a lot of different things you could do with him, and then he was really your go-to big play target if you wanted a home run. Yeah, I think that is going to be a bit of a gaping hole in this Penn State offense, but I think they have what it takes to fill it at the running back position. I think that the offense is going to transition to – it was already more of a run-heavy offense, at least the way I saw it. I think it's going to become even more so of a run-heavy offense um, in in this season in a couple weeks. Uh, I I think they'll be missing some production from him, but especially with the fact that their schedule is not too demanding this year, I think they'll do just fine. So let's let's say that the offense is probably going to look more instead of you know occasional deep shots to KJ Hamler. You take that out of the equation. Now it's a run focused offense with dump offs to Fryer. Muth I can see that working. I can see that. I I think that's where you kind of transition. Uh, you know the passing game from something where you're going to have deep shots here and there to absolutely just kind of dump off offense which you know isn't bad and if you've got the good blocking you know if these receivers can block downfield same with the, the the tight ends and all that then I think it could be fine especially because I like their running backs and I love Pat Fryermuth. but you know if you can do that I think you're going to be okay yeah. if you can make um, that work the big play the yeah. big play potential there if you're ready to talk about something I've been waiting well. to do for weeks uh, I'm ready to get into it Let's talk about my preseason national champions, the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is a team who last season, you know, they went undefeated in the regular season, down in the Big Ten championship game. They come back and they beat the Wisconsin Badgers. They go from number one to number two in the rankings. and They lose to Clemson in the playoff. A huge disappointment, an awful end of the season. You know, the ball goes past Chris Olave. Interception from Justin Fields at the end of the game. Terrible way to end the season for OSU. I think they've got revenge on the mind, and I think they're going to be the national champions. Reed, um, you're, you're Mr. Buckeye. The first thing we got to look at when we're looking at this Ohio State team is my favorite like position in football, which has my favorite player in football on it, which is the wide receiver position. This whole wide receiver unit, it's so deep, and it's so filled with incredibly talented players. Let's just look at it top to bottom. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jeeva, Demario McCall, Julian Fleming, Jalen Harris, Guy Scott Jr. I mean – Loaded with talent. I mean, pretty much all of those guys would start no question. about any team yeah. in the Big Ten. They'd be um, at least a number two, number three. You throw in the fact that Ohio State is one of the best O-lines in the nation with one of the best offensive linemen, White Davis, who's just come back from opting out. And with also, in my opinion, the best quarterback yeah. in the nation. I think he's ever so slightly better than Trevor Lawrence, which is Justin Fields. They have transfer running back Trey Sermon. They have Master Teague at a backup. Who's he's a solid running back. Um, I don't think Teague. I think if Teague were the starter, that would be a problem because he's not quite at at the uh, expectation for an Ohio State running back in the past. They've had J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber Jr., Ezekiel Elliott. He's not one of those guys yet, but he's a solid running back and he'll do the job for Ohio State. He'll he'll get in uh, on some plays. But now that Chase Young is gone, he he was he was the best player in college football last year. 
He was one of the most sought-after players in the draft, and he's already tearing it up in the NFL. I don't think people realize how dangerous this Ohio State defensive line is going to be this year, even with the departure of Young. Jonathan Cooper, a player who the big yeah the game changer. Um, I, I want to start is, with Jonathan Cooper, Harrison. who's a player. Get to him, I'm sure he was a redshirt last year. He he was it was his true senior year, and he redshirted. Uh, I believe because of medical reasons, he was injured for part of that season. Um, but Jonathan Cooper, who's been in this team for a while, he's going to be a team leader, uh, and he's a, a really talented defensive lineman. Tyreek Smith, he's a junior, true junior. Um, he's he was a backup his freshman year. He, he uh, I believe he was a backup last year, but he got some decent time in. I think this year is going to be the year he really uh, blossoms. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a Chase Young or Nick Bosa type nationwide star, but I think he will be. Uh, a constant threat to opposing quarterbacks. Zach Harrison isn't even listed as a starter on this depth chart, and I think he'll work his way into that starting role at defensive end by the end of the season. But the defensive end position. Yeah, that is crazy to me that he's not a a starter. Because this guy is so talented. Smith and Zach Harrison all play defensive end. Ohio State is – Ohio State's – Incredible. Yeah. Those three guys would be superstars at any other school. Uh and you know, and those guys are yeah. all going to probably. And let's share not forget about Haskell Garrett, who Ohio plays State defensive tackle. Um, usually, Ohio State, it's it's been the defensive ends who have gotten all the attention on this D line. You know, you look at the Bosa brothers, you look at uh, Chase Young, you all the way back into Cameron Hayward. It's been the D ends who have gotten all the spotlight. But Ohio State has had uh, some pretty skilled tackles in the past too, who who tend to not do much in the NFL, be more practice squad or backup guys. But the defensive tackles have done a seriously good job uh, in the last at least decade. And Haskell Garrett is going to be no different. He's, once again, it's, it's a very experienced D-line. Um, and even even Zach Harrison, who's just a sophomore, he got some good reps in last year. He got in pretty often. Um, it's, a, it's a very experienced unit, which is going to be huge. And there's just some absolute animals on this D-line. And I agree, and I think the I think the problem for Ohio State though is going to be, I think it's the same problems as last year. You know, I think running back there's a chance it's a problem just because Trey Sermon's yeah. new and he's not J.K. Dobbins. I think so too, it's especially because yeah, that's going to be tough. I think they're just going to rely more on the passing the game receivers. because Trey Sermon, again, he's not J.K. Dobbins. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a great receiver room, but uh, I think the other big issue is going to be just like it was last year. The linebackers. It's going to be Pete Warner. And well, let's Tuck not forget about Baron Browning, the senior who is I don't like this linebacker uh, group, supposed to have his be, breakout you know, year. One... He's, last two years, he's been a solid player. Um, but every source I've seen, I, I haven't seen a, a single bad word about him this offseason. And uh, he's been a tough player to deal with last year. Now, when you look at this playoff loss to Clemson last year, it was the linebackers who were um, the most at fault, you could say or really the biggest fault was was Ohio State's red zone offense. They had the ball in the red zone multiple times. But uh, the linebackers in the past, mm-hmm. in the last three, four years, have been the weakest unit on this team. But Baron Brown could pick up – Baron Browning, not Baron Brown. Baron Browning could pick up some of that slack. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about this Ohio State secondary because Ohio State has been in the past uh, – they're, they're known as DBU. They and LSU seem to share that title. They've – Consistently had. <laughs> Don't get out of here. I can't forget yeah. about Texas. Um, but uh, just kidding. 
they've always <laughs> had some incredible players in their secondary. And this year they, they have Sean Wade, who's one of the best D-backs in the country. But other than that, they don't, they don't seem to have a lot of depth in this position in the way that they have in the past. So I'm curious, what do you think about this Ohio State secondary, and is it going to be a problem, or do you think they'll, they'll figure it out? Well, you know, one big thing is that they're losing Jeff Akuda, and uh, that's hard to replace. But I think this is going to be the year Seven Banks kind of steps into a big role. Uh, you know, he played a lot last year, but I think he's going to take on a bigger role this year. Obviously a highly recruited guy. Everybody at Ohio State is. Uh, but, you know, two big things with Seven Banks. He's going to probably have to step into a bigger role. You know, he's got all that experience under his belt. Learn from Jeff Akuda. Learn from Sean Wade. Sean Wade's going to be great again. Uh, the other big thing for Seven Banks. It is incredible. Yeah, I love seven. that. Uh, That's huge. jersey will literally say Seven Banks on it. Um, <laughs> one player I want to highlight, I think I highlighted him in, in our previous episode, is Marcus Hooker, <laughs> the brother of Malik Hooker. Now, I haven't seen a lot of tape on him, but Malik Hooker is one of the best safeties right. Ohio State's had in the last few years. And how awesome would it be for Marcus Hooker to follow in his footsteps? Uh, I'm really hopeful uh, that he can do something like that. But Sean Wade um, – I'm super confident in him, and the fact that he's opted back in is going to be huge for this team. And one thing about the secondary is their secondary coach, Kerry Coombs, who left to go coach for the Titans uh, for a few years. He's now back at Ohio State. Not only is he an incredible recruiter, he's a very good coach as well. Um, I think that's going to be pretty crucial for this Ohio State secondary, and I think they'll continue to be one of the best units um, in the nation when it comes to safeties and cornerbacks. I agree. And, uh, you know, it's always a next man up thing because, you know, it's happened in years past where an Ohio, one Ohio State defensive back goes There's on and becomes a first round pick. And it's like, mm-hmm. who's going to step up? Who's going to fill in the role? Somebody yeah. always inevitably and it's, does it's, it. And I don't think this is going to be the year where I doubt that. Especially because yeah. of what we've already seen. And it's it's crazy like when you look at this team. Be stepping into and a role. In the past, you know, when we looked at Indiana, we highlighted the wider receiver position and really the defense as a whole. Or Penn State, it was the running backs. At Maryland, it was uh, quarterback and the wide receiver. But this Ohio State team, every single unit is solid, which is – I mean, that's one of the – that's what you need uh, when, you, when you want to be an elite team. But that's, that's something that Urban Meyer and Ryan Day have really focused on. They want to have uh, – they say nine strong. They want to have uh, all – every unit of this team be elite. And even when you look at the special teams, they have, they have their kicker and punter. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about kickers and punters. But these are, these are both guys who have their third season uh, on the team. Blake Hobbiel has been a very consistent kicker. Drew Chrisman, arguably the best punter in the country. Um, and it, it, it's, punter is an overlooked position because it is crucial to have somebody uh, who can really flip the field the way Drew Chrisman does. Exactly. That is, that is such punters, a true statement. With punters, you don't know what you got until it's And when, when you look at the, uh, the kick returning and punt returning, Demario McCall and Garrett Wilson – Chris Olave could get in on some returns too. The fact that the uh, wide receivers and H-backs on this team are so fast and so athletic, uh, it's going to be really good. And Ohio State just is an extremely well-rounded team. So that's going to be something that – that's going to be a hard thing to combat uh, if you're an Ohio State opponent. That's why I have them winning the national championship because they're they're strong at every single unit uh, on the team, whereas Clemson has a few holes uh, that – I mean, they're Clemson. They'll patch them up relatively well. Uh, but I think Ohio State, they have a good foundation and they have a lot of depth uh, just about every position. So I, I'm i obviously hoping for a national title this year for Ohio State, but I'm pretty, I'm 
fairly confident uh, that it can get done as well. Right. I think Ohio State is the best team in the country, and they have a chip on their shoulder after the way last season ended. Clemson has got the target on their back from Ohio State. So I think this is going to be – this is Ohio State's conference to lose number one, but I think it's Ohio State's national championship to gain. They're reaching for it. Clemson mm-hmm. – well, LSU is the incumbent, but Clemson had their number last year. Clemson is the favorite. I think nationally, just because they've, you know, been in, on people's minds. They've been playing for a month. Yeah. LSU. And that's something picture. interesting that so I want to talk about for a second about uh, Ryan Day is a coach. Last year, he stepped into the head coaching role. He did a tremendous job. But last year, if Ohio State went, say, 10 and 2, he had an excuse. It's his first year. Uh, he's following after Urban Meyer. They, it, yeah, they didn't. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, he was losing some, they some production at the wide receiver position. He, he had undefeated. a whole new transfer quarterback coming in. He had a lot of uh, potential excuses, and they did a really good job. This year, there is not a single excuse for Ohio State to not win the Big Ten. And there's little excuse for them to not win the national championship. So how will a still relatively yeah. new coach, Ryan Day, react to this? I think Ryan Day is a strong coach, uh, and I think he'll prove his worth here. Um, but it's it's still possible for him to – become uh, overwhelmed by this pressure and I, I don't think it'll happen but that is something to keep your eye on uh, the pressure could get to him when you have a team with such high expectations uh, when you're I mean let's keep in mind this is Ryan Day's first head coaching job he's been a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator for his entire career he's still uh, he's in his early 40s I think might even be in his 30s I think he's in his early 40s but he's a young coach so um, I think he has what it takes but uh could be something to keep an eye on. All right. And before we go, let's give bowl predictions. We think that four teams in the Big Ten East are going to go bowling. I think both of us, we all think it's going to be Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, and Michigan all go bowling. I'll start. I'll say Ohio State's going to the playoff. I'll give Penn State. Uh, so the playoff games this year, I believe, are the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, correct? Yeah, so I've got mm-hmm. Ohio State going to the playoffs, probably the Rose Bowl, right, the Big Ten team. Uh, I think Penn State's going to go to New Year's Six Bowl, too. I'm not really sure which one. I'll give them the Orange Bowl uh, just just because we'll throw Penn State in the Orange Bowl. Uh, I think Indiana's probably going to go to a pretty good bowl game, too. Uh, tough to say which one. Maybe the um, – where do you think for – all right, I, I want to hear first your, your Ohio State and Penn State picks, and maybe even Indiana too, because I'm kind of having trouble thinking of a good bowl game for Indiana to fit into, because I think they're yeah. probably going about um, five, six games, more or less. Uh, maybe, I, I don't think, I because I think in the regular season, I was kind of thinking like, oh, maybe they end up in like Nashville, but now I'm starting to think maybe like the Citrus Bowl for Indiana. And then with Michigan... I think like still could be in Nashville. In they the, just have a uh, what's it called now? I was gonna call it the uh, the old, the Music City Bowl. I, don't, I was gonna go. I, was gonna, um, I forgot the sponsor. I don't even remember what yeah. it is. It's, it's no longer Franklin American Mortgage. What's the yeah, it is something else. Didn't it change? Yeah, I was gonna call it the Franklin American Mortgage Bowl, but yeah, the Music City Bowl. I'm thinking Michigan Music City. 
And then that's it for my yeah. So uh, uh, obviously Ohio East, State going uh, to the Rose Bowl. All, my pick. I haven't gone undefeated. Winning the Big Ten, uh, that would have to put them in a playoff game. So Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Um, Penn State could go to the Orange Bowl because I think they'll be a. Uh, I think it'll be a good matchup because obviously there's the ACC tie-in to the Orange Bowl. So I think they could match up well with Notre Dame or North Carolina or potentially even Miami, depending on how their season shakes out. But uh, I don't want to repeat that pick, so I'll put them in the Fiesta Bowl. The Fiesta Bowl feels more right for Penn State for whatever reason. Um, Indiana, I, I Citrus Bowl is definitely possible. I could see it happening, but you got to keep in mind, like Indiana still is just going to get disrespected. Um, that's just what happens. So they could very well be six or seven and two, or or six and three, or something, and get left out of that bowl just because they're not necessarily a blue blood. Um, and a more traditional powerhouse might get in. So I would put Indiana in – the Holiday Bowl is no longer a Big Ten tie-in, is it? It's The Las Vegas Bowl is what is the equivalent, right? Yeah. It so is I'm going to go ahead and put Indiana in the Las Vegas Bowl. And I then was thinking Michigan, Las Vegas Bowl for a minute. Yeah. Um, I would like them to go to the Music City Bowl so I can go and root against them, although I probably wouldn't go. I probably wouldn't go to that game, yeah, because of – well, actually, the Titans and Nashville SC uh, – If there's fans. Nashville SC had fans at a game. Uh, nice show. Yeah, the Titans can't play. The Titans uh, were planning on having fans. Well, the Titans um, can't play right at now around this time. So there probably sick. would be fans. <laughs> I don't know if I personally would go to that game, but that's part of the point. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. They already do make me sick. But uh, I got fans get you going sick. to the Pinstripe Bowl at, with a 4-5 and five <laughs> or – uh, and I can't see them going three and six. I'd put them in a four and five record, put them in the pinstripe bowl. Reed, how embarrassed would you be to say if you got, if you got COVID and somebody asked um, you how, and you said Michigan fans, how embarrassing would that be? Yeah. Uh, unless they're, or I was at a Michigan. I mean, I've been game. to a Michigan football game before. I saw them lose in overtime. To you, Ohio Mr. State. Ohio state. You've been to a Michigan well, – I mean, I would – believe me, I, I would show up in Michigan. all my Ohio State gear to root against Michigan. So uh, it may as well be an Ohio State game because to hate Michigan – or to love Ohio State is to hate Michigan. Um, synonymous. So uh, I don't think it would be that embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I like your picks. Uh, we'll be back again next week, breaking down the West. Follow us on Instagram at the first and 10, spell it all out on Twitter at first and one G uh, radar podcast here on Apple or on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much. Have a good one.